Hi, and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, conversations with fascinating people all centred around food. My name's Gary Megan. I love everything to do with food. You probably know that, whether it's a bustling sidewalk, street food, farmer's markets, oh, don't get me started on cheese. I am obsessed with everything to do with food. Each episode, I speak to someone within the Australian food scene, find out about the innovative things that they're doing and why they end up putting so much passion into their food and into their work. Today on the show, I have two blokes called Cam and Alex. Now, they run a wine bar in Brunswick, but it ain't any ordinary wine bar. In fact, it's a community built around wine. It's two blokes that discovered something under their house that changed their lives forever. So here it is, my chat with Alex and Cam of Noisy Ritual. My background is not in the wine industry at all. Okay. My background is in like music industry and events and um, and sort of working, uh, running community workshops and that sort of thing. Um, and three years ago, my partner and I moved into a house in Thornbury and uh, discovered after we moved in that uh, there was this little room underneath the house, okay. sort of down below ground level and you sort of step down into it and there's this concrete tank thing in there and like a couple of old railway sleepers and some other bits of equipment that I didn't recognize um, until my old schoolmate, Alex, sitting beside me, uh, was over for dinner a couple of weeks after we'd moved in and I was showing him under the house. That so my, come and have a look at this, Alex. Yeah. Look, yeah. look what like, I found. The impressive out. storage area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did Check you get out. the tour? That's what it was. You, oh, yeah, it was you looked at the garden tour. shed. Yeah. 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 My partner, Kate, rolled her eyes when I was like, come and see under the house. <laughs> There's all this cool storage and stuff yeah. down there. Well, at least he was interested. Yeah, exactly. So I took him down there and, and I showed him this tank that I thought was a water tank or something right. and he, Alex lifted the, the top off it and saw that it was lined with wax and he's like, oh mate, this isn't a water tank. Someone's been making wine down here. And so how, Alex, how did you know that? What do you do? Uh, I'm a winemaker. Been, okay. Uh, trained as a winemaker, working as a winemaker for a long time now uh, and I was working at the time at a winery down near Geelong. Uh, and so, you know, I've seen a few concrete winemaking tanks in my time and yeah. it, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. This is interesting. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And Thornbury being one of those areas where you'd imagine there'd be a lot of Italians or Greeks or Croatians, uh, you know, community to, communities that are used to making a bit of wine. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Exactly. For family and friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this is of a reasonable scale, you know, it's about, it's got the footprint, this, this tank has a footprint of a, of a, a pallet and it's like about chest high. Oh, wow. Um, and with a big tap on the front of it and stuff. And so once, once we, Alex just, you know, realized what it was, um, we started looking around and realized that there's a, there's a bilge pump in the floor as well. So if you're hosing things out in there, it just pumps it straight out into the, this little drain. So at this side. point, Alex, you're, you're under the house. Yeah. What are you thinking? What, what was going on here? I was just as a like, winemaker, you go yeah, leave me like, out oh, of that's, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's doesn't want just another like project. Being at work a little bit, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but then when we started talking about it and realizing that, you know, it's a bit different doing it in the old-fashioned way and doing it as a small community of friends working together, you know, having fun. But at the time, we certainly, you know, looked at each other and thought, well, let's let's find something to put in here, you know. Okay, so was that the first thought? What was the first idea then? Was it your idea? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think when, when Alex said, oh, so this is a, you know, this is a tank where people have been making wine. I started asking him cause I'm a complete newcomer. I had no idea yeah. really 
I knew that wine was made from grapes, but that was about the extent yeah. of my that's knowledge. Good, hey, look, it's a good start. Because <laughs> not always. I'm thinking it's made with other things, but yeah, yeah, that's it's a good true. start. Uh, and so I started asking a couple of logistical questions about if we oh, if we wanted to do this, what would it take? And Alex was like, well, you know, we can do it old school and it doesn't take much at all. We just need to get the grapes here. And I was like, so how many, how many, how much can it fit? And he's like, oh, about half a ton. And so we kind of thought then and there, yeah, let's, let's, you know, well, I certainly did. I was like, yep, yeah, <laughs> let's pursue this. And so we got an another handful of mates uh, and we all kind of put in a couple of hundred bucks each right. and next vintage which was a few months later um, Alex brought down on the back of his ute from the winery where he was working near Geelong half a ton of Shiraz um, and we invited a bunch of other friends to come over and kind of help us right. get the grapes which we had to do a bucket at a time because the ute couldn't get near the yeah. room we had to bucket it uh, from the like out the front of the house all the way around in and under it's a juicy ute at the moment now isn't it at this point <laughs> with a trailer juice <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. running under the house what was the intention though did you think to yourselves we'll make I don't know how many how many dozen bottles would half a ton uh, of grapes yield did I, you have any did you talk about this did you go right okay we're going to get yeah, how much yeah. Alex how much are we going to get out of this exactly yeah, so yeah. we got about 25 dozen bottles out right. of half a ton and there was at the beginning, there I was think five of us, yeah. wasn't there? So, we, so hang on we, a minute. So you've gone the right. We're going to get twenty-five dozen because this is in your head, Cam. Right? I've got twenty-five <laughs> dozen bottles. Yeah. And we need this many, these many people. So what was the intention? Just make it, share it. Yeah. Uh, De- it was. I mean, we kind of thought we can. You know, everybody can be involved, and then everybody can get to get something share. at the end of the year that they've made, and yeah. they can drink throughout the year and share with their friends and. A bit like a making, you know, buying a pig and making salami and. Sharing the exactly sharing the spoils. Exactly, yeah? and I think part of it for me was that uh, was that I would be able to have ready access to uh, like a quality of wine that I, I I wasn't used to being able to afford working in the community <laughs> sector or music industry. Very selfish. You I know? love that. <laughs> it totally was. I was like, hey, if you can get the good grapes, you can show us how to make it, and I can have five cases uh, to to go through throughout. But the I would year. imagine that's, that's that a great the, the idea would be it would. Well, you could either end up with five cases of amazing wine or five cases of wine that you'll still have in 20 years because you don't want to touch it <laughs> or throw it away. Yeah. Well, Alex <laughs> gave it to me on very good authority that, <laughs> that you'd be able nothing to... that, we could, that he couldn't deal with, okay. you know. So, so when we're getting... It was a low risk too, <laughs> you was... know, because the risk was shared through the group of people that it was kind of a low risk for each individual anyway. So a bit of time, bit of fun. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Smash some grapes. So how, how at the easy end, because this is what you guys are about too, isn't it? This noisy ritual of getting people together. Exactly. I presume. Yeah. 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 Having fun, making wine. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we're doing even now is just modeled on what organically happened at my house when those grapes arrived. Because, um, you know, whilst the initial um, impetus for me was was getting access to high quality wine at a low price, I wasn't prepared for how much fun the process would be and how um, and how simple the process is, um, and, and how much fun it would be to share it with yeah. mates. So, and, so run us through that, that initial, so you, that initial process of making your first batch. So yep. you've organized the Shiraz grapes. Yeah. They've arrived in the ute. You're now trailing these grapes up in buckets up to this. One it, night after work. I don't yeah, even it think a, it, was it was a, a weekend. It was, was it? a Friday night. Oh yeah. I think. So, um, and so yeah, we invited a bunch of other mates around. Everyone kind of brought a, a six pack and a plate of food. And we kind of, you know, we did a bit of the, the labor, which is getting all the grapes from the ute around. Um, and then we demogged the grapes. What's demogged? You want to explain what demog is? Uh, what, in, in the winery, when you receive the fruit, anything that's in there that's not 
grapes they call mog because it's material other than grapes. So that, that was our first sort of learning process for the, the non-winemakers there to right. learn what mog was and why we had to take it out of the grapes. So things like leaves and leaves and sticks vines and, and sticks and all this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. machine harvested fruit. So okay. uh, when it, the machines shake the vines to get all the fruit off yeah. and so you can often get all manner of things. So there's a bit of mog. Yeah, yeah. there's a bit of mog yeah. and, and so, you know, often there's – Bugs and frogs and things in there as well that you want to get out before the fermentation. Okay. This doesn't add to the character of the wine if we're <laughs> it, making it? No. It, it does, yeah. But, but not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And yeah. So, so we went through kind of, again, like bucket, bucket by bucket before we put it into the fermenter. We'd go through it and take out anything that wasn't a grape. And then once it was all in there, um, uh, people had had a few drinks by this point and a few people got pretty keen to stomp it because it's this that cliched experience. That well, that's the only bit loves. I'm turning up for, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> surely yeah, everybody is, goes, yeah. making wine, surely all they've got to get involved in is rolling up their trousers and jumping up and down on top of grapes, no? Exactly. Yeah. Still to this day, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the thing that gets people in the door basically is the promise of having a stomp because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. super fun. So yeah. is there a term for that? Like mog? Or is it just stomp? Yeah, there's a French term, isn't there? There's a French term oh, that a lot of, of people use, called pigeage. Uh, but yeah, we we normally just call it stomping. Yeah, we try yeah. to keep. I it like stomping. Pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, stomping's good. Yeah, stomping's got you know dancing connotations as well. Which is, it does. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that's what happened after the after the 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 demogging and then the stomping and then as as it's all happening, Alex and our other winemaking friend Sam, who was there at the time, were getting asked questions the whole time from everybody um, who'd never experienced the process before. Mm. Just you know, and and uh, along the way, everybody's getting a bit of an education. Um, um, and then once uh, we'd finished stomping and everyone was kind of tired from stomping the absolute bejesus out of it, um, <laughs> we went upstairs to eat all the food and the questions kept coming and, you know, the drinks okay. kept flowing. And, and after everybody went away and then the next day I kind of got up and realized I had to look after this fruit. I, I like, um, so that was a little bit daunting, but I, like we'd all had such an amazing time. Um, and it reminded me of what I'd assumed it would be, um, to be part of like, um, like what my Italian mates had, had talked about yeah. their Posada day. It's that, that, yeah. that feeling of, of family coming together and in our case, mates coming together, um, and working together towards a, a common goal and, okay. and having an opportunity to share that and, you know, each other's company, um, as a byproduct of that. And so well, I kind of got a bit taken, taken by it, you know? Well, you, you, well, even as you're explaining it, you can see that that's yeah. an important part of th this idea. Idea. That's it. That's mm. it. And then I realized I had half a ton of fruit under my house. I yeah. had no idea what to do with. What was it? What were you eating, by the way? Can you remember what was any, on any of those plates? I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, I'm just curious. Did, we had a barbecue, did it match my dream we? of, uh, oh, was it just snags and white bread? Or, <laughs> it was, uh, no, I think or I I'm a, thinking, you know, artisan cheese and leg salami. Of lamb, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. And some salads yeah. and some, you know, cheese. Nice. Of course, when you start talking about wine, everybody wants to have cheese, cheese. as well, which is yeah. always great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And we had benchmarking wines too, which is, you know, a big part of the process as well for the, the non-wine drinkers or the inexperienced what, wine this, drinkers. As they swirl a, a glass <laughs> of something sophisticated, Well, this is what we're going to end up with. Well, that was part of what we did at the time, uh, what I did to try yeah. to, to say, well, you know, the, we can choose the direction we take the wine in to some degree. Uh, and so everybody needs to talk about what they okay. want the wine to be. 
Who were, the most, the, who were the most vocal about that? I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking at you very yeah. much. Pro- probably me. Yeah, that's it. Because there's a long, there's a, a big difference between grapes that have arrived from Great West and that are fresh grapes, and yeah. then a bottle of something that's you know that's, uh, that's yeah, finished 12, and 12 or more months delicious. down the track. So, sure. um, so yeah, it's really interesting to taste so what's the, those things. So what's the process now? So you've got, as you said, you've got all this stomped on fruit grape. Yep. In this big vat that you'd found underneath your house, yeah, and now the realization that what do you mean you got to look after it? What do you what are you got to do with it? <laughs> well, that's what I that's what I wanted to know. And so I, you know, I called Alex and said, "What so what do I do now?" And he's like, "Well, nothing. Just there's yeast in there. Right. It's going to start fermenting at some point." Uh, so this is now just all smashed um, yeah. on the skins, juice, yep, and wild yeast. We decided that. Uh, if possible, we wanted it to ferment using the indigenous yeast that come yeah. from the vineyard on the fruit. And so we just left it. And then it was really up to Cam, just like we do when we're making wines commercially, to smell it and taste it and then f- make sure that it's not going in the wrong direction. And what's the wrong direction? Because now, actually, I've just gone back a step. I'm trying to picture your mates. I mean, are they are they good looking mates? I mean, do they have nice feet? I mean, did you do a foot check before they all got in? Was there a strict procedure, or did you just introduce your own yeasts along the way? Uh, we just, we just, we just introduced <laughs> big Bob and his tinia. Yeah. That's we what just, I was thinking. We just assumed that they were very clean people. Oh, so right, okay. So you didn't do any of that. It you just didn't... adds further complexity. All of this stuff adds further. <laughs> so complexity. you're happy with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, the like quite seriously, the the fermentation process. Oh, it's a question that we often get asked whether people yeah. need to wash their feet before they stomp mm. the fruit. But, yeah, the process of the fermentation will will clean up anything that's in there anyway. Yeah. The yeast will always be dominant over any other organisms, bacteria or whatever that might be in there. Yeah. So fermentation cleans it up in that way and the alcohol and the pH keeps it safe from spoilage of any kind. So It's, a, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? You it know, is. as a cook, you know, as a chef, so yeah. I understand some of that and it's with bread for example or fermenting things it's amazing so with that that native yeast that comes in on the grapes that's the dominant yeast that's the dominant that well it is there's only ever one dominant yeast in a wine fermentation yeah and in the early stage there might be lots of yeast there but the strongest one will prevail that's right and so we hope that that one is a good one yeah uh, and usually it is. And that's why it's important to be smelling and tasting the, as the fermentation goes through the process, because yeah. you can tell if, if there are aromas or flavors that are undesirable. Well, you know, I can, I can tell, you know, <laughs> there's bad use in that. There. Yeah. Yeah. but that was part of what we were doing. He was texting me and saying, well, how do I explain what it tastes like? Or how do I know if it's a good taste or a bad taste? Yeah. Because I'm sure you can convince yourself it's a good taste. You go, oh, look, this, you know what? I do even when I taste a, a wine that I might have had in a cellar for a while. I'll have the first sip and I go, I think it's okay. Cost a lot of money. I think it costs a lot of money. I think. No, I don't know if you've been there, but I go. I think it's okay, and I can convince myself. And sometimes I'm sure I've drank a bottle of wine that wasn't okay at all. But I just went, you know what? I'll drink it. Yeah. Over yeah. hell or high water. 
Yeah, and I'm sure um, I'm sure your palate's a little bit more sophisticated than mine. <laughs> oh, it depends. Depends what <laughs> food. Yes, maybe. But, uh, there was a bit of that going on in my head. But but the the way that it, the the process was managed um, was yeah, I would just text. I'd take measurements of of uh, of, of the the bome, how much sugar was left as it yep. was fermenting, and um, and the temperature it was at, and text that through to Alex. And if any action was required, he'd text it back. It's all and new for you. It. This is fantastic. Yeah. Going from you know, your background in music and production, I presume, and then yep. now you're testing the degree of bourmet, which is the density of sugar, mm. isn't it? In, in, is that right, the density yeah. of sugar in, yeah, in yeah, the liquid? Yeah, density. Yep. Wow, that's a, that's a learning curve and a half. So, uh, yeah, it is. It is. But look, I was, you know, like it, it happened, like so many things were surprising about it for me being a newcomer, like how simple it was and how the fact that we didn't have to do anything to make fermentation begin, it just happened. Uh, and the fact that the, for me, the grapes tasted delicious when they arrived and as it was fermenting, the ferment tasted and smelled delicious. And after it was finished, even in its raw state, the wine tasted better than any of the wines I'd been drinking up until yeah. that point, like right after fermentation, a week and a half after the grapes yeah. had arrived, you know, brilliant. all of that stuff was just mind blowing to me, you know, I'm like, how can, you know, people talk about, uh, wine is this really difficult thing that, yeah. you know, that only a few people can do because this is so easy. Uh, I've <laughs> since realized that it's not always that easy. Because yeah. <laughs> you know. now you're belittling Alex. Yeah, you're just saying your job <laughs> no, no. Easy. I, can, exactly. I can do that. Exactly. That first ferment, though, required it, no yeah. intervention. It just, it happened and yeah. it was, you know, it, it was amazing. I've since seen the strength of Alex's palate and picking up problems at a very minute level before they become one and, and steering things, you know, away from any, any problem. From but disaster. Um, like yeah, so I, I shouldn't. I should backtrack a little bit. Yeah, but no. But I like the idea of simplicity. So yeah. th there's all this juicy liquid fermenting away, doing its thing. How long did that take? So how many? So yeah, it was finished fermenting in about a week and a half, yeah. I think. And then what happens next? Less. Uh, so again, I called Alex and I'm like, so the the bomo rating zero. So <laughs> what does that mean? He's like, well, it means there's no more the sugar. The sugar's gone. <laughs> there's nothing more for the yeast to, to yeah. eat. So uh, so that's fermentation is finished. And so I said, what do we do now? He's like, well, we've got to press it. That's yeah. great. We didn't have a press. So we had to find a press. Yeah. So uh, I asked Alex where we'd find a press. And he's like, well, have you got any Italian mates? <laughs> and so I called my mate Christian. Uh, sure enough, his nonna had a press in her garage. And so uh, we bought, bought that off her for 50 bucks, I think. Wow. Got that in the backyard and invited all the mates back around back for the stage two of the working bee yeah. uh, for this wine. And um, a bunch of other kind of mates heard about what we're doing and wanted to come and, and help out as well. So we used the old... Basket press right. in the backyard. So you basically, what is it? A wooden yeah. uh, press, big, With a big screw, screw mechanism, and, a and so now you really got to get into some work and yeah. turn yep. this thing and press all the juice out of the off the skin. I, I suppose exactly. Yep. Yeah, get all get all the solids away from the liquids and get the liquids into a barrel. Right. Um, and so that's what we did at our second thing again, you know, people rocked up. How much did you drink at that stage? <laughs> of the, of the one that we were yeah. just making. Because yeah, we started off with 25,000, didn't we? A that's a, I'm just working yeah. it yeah, out. We never quite did an audit on no, how much we ended up with. We, didn't. we actually, we didn't end up with that much though. Yeah. No. But it's always, especially for people who are doing it for the first time, you know, they they can't help themselves. They want to taste it and drink a lot of it and, and they can't they can't sort of hold back yeah. when you, when you've done it more often, many more times. Yeah. And then you know that it will be better in 12 months yeah. or, or however And long. you can pull out a bottle, I presume that you did last year or mm. the year before yeah. and enjoy that. Exactly. Yeah. Are there any, you know, when you're drinking wine raw like that, did you get a headache from it? Well, I, in that, at that stage, it had nothing added to it yeah. at all. So there was no, 
no risk of uh, any sort of anything other than the alcohol giving you a and headache. And what, what alcohol level is it sitting at? Uh, that was that wine is about thirteen and a half, I so, think. But it's pretty big, though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's a that was a great western Shiraz, so it's a pretty. There's joy. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> there's there's yeah. joy at this stage. Yeah, yeah. No, there yeah, definitely yeah. is. I'm not sure if I've told you, but I've had like I had people come around, you know, in the month after that after that day. Uh, to just visit or whatever, I'd go down there and get get a sample, yeah. and put some wine on the table oh, with dinner or whatever. People yeah. just, you know, that's why you didn't people have were very polite. Twenty five yeah. dozen. It yeah. was. <laughs> I thought there was a parties. lot of evaporation going on under his house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A unique environment under that house. Never seen evaporation <laughs> yeah. like it. Talk about the blind leading the blind. Now, after the break, we're going to talk more about that fermenter that they found under the house and what it's like to attend one of the nights at Noisy Ritual. So stay with us. So yeah. like, things got a bit derailed at this point in the story because uh, after we pressed that first batch, um, and again, that was lots of fun and very educational, we had an empty fermenter sitting there. And so we got carried away and thought we'd have, we better do a second batch, right. <laughs> that same vintage. Uh, so a, a bunch of other people who just like come along to the first one, then put some money in for the second one. So we got another bunch of people invested in, in making a batch of wine under there. And by the time we were pressing that second batch, there was like 40 people had showed up to help out with the, with the press. And the connection, what, just friends just and mates family mates, or mates? Mates okay. of mates who kind of okay. heard about this, this thing that was going yeah. on in the backyard. Uh, and so Alex and I were there and I was again doing something on the barbecue and he was standing next to me and we were just watching all these people who'd showed up and we weren't doing any work. <laughs> uh, and I, I started asking Alex about about this kind of experience and if it's something that exists that you could, people can pay for and, and go and yeah, do okay. readily, like you can learn how to make bread or cheese or there's all yeah. sorts of food or drink related courses and experiences you can do. And I was sort of asking about the wine industry and if there's any urban wineries in Melbourne, if there's, or if there's this And the answer to that was? No, no, there wasn't anything like what we were doing available in Melbourne. And even outside of the city, there are, you know, one day things that you can do that we found out about and that we know about, but, uh, having this, this complete experience that follows the fruit from when it's picked all the way in th mm. until it's bottled and then taking the bottles home with you, that was, that was what we thought was a bit different and what people were really getting into. Well, I'm excited about it already. Uh, more, more to the fact that I just want to watch you two grilling sausages and or whatever you were doing <laughs> and watching this thing unfold because yeah. it is pretty unique. I mean, for a foodie like me, they're, they're the kind of experiences up and above, and it'd be the same as a winemaker, I'm, I presume, but up and above our jobs. Yeah. You know, that's the pleasure in a lot of what we do in food, making bread or making cheese. You know, yep. that's, yeah. that's yeah. the idea like of it. Sharing it. Mm. And also for us, when during vintage for me, when it's very intense, 12 hours a day, seven days a week at least for two or three months, uh, and you can get a bit exhausted and you can, you can lose the passion a little bit when you're so yeah. exhausted. But every time when you have a new group of people come in, it reinvigorates your passion. And so, you know, for me, that was an unexpected benefit of it. Yeah. Because they're surprised and thrilled yeah. and inspired by it. And you'd learned this years ago and you've gone, oh, it's, it's kind of old hat, but it's mm. lovely, isn't it? That's it is. Yeah. And everybody has a different, different perspective, a different set of questions. And so it's always reinvigorating. Yeah. So hatching of an idea. 
How did it take shape? It happened at the barbecue. Looking down. It happened, yeah. More to him than to me, I think. Looking down on the small factory that was a house. Yeah, so I started asking, and we discovered, you know, that there wasn't really a precedent. And then we was like, well, you know, I think there could be something in this because people were responding in such a positive way. And because of my history in, like, the music industry, I was really familiar with the concept of crowdfunding which is used by, by a lot of artists to fund projects. Uh, and so we thought we might pursue trying to see if the idea was one that we could float um, to people um, via a crowdfunding website and try and raise money to do it next year um, on a slightly larger scale. So we, we ran a crowdfunding campaign um, sort of towards the end of that year, which uh, which kind of finalised with our, our the, the bottling of that wine from my backyard. So we ran this crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and raised enough money to uh, yeah to make five batches of wine the following vintage. Right. We so hired, how much money? Do, um, you don't have to answer, but how much money did you have to raise out of that crowdfunding exercise? So we raised thirty-two thousand. Right. So you worked is, out right. This is what we've got to do. This is what we need to buy and exactly. All yeah, yeah, we need to hire a space for <clears throat> ten or twelve weeks. Yeah, I was going to say because that was the next question. Because all of a sudden now you can't do it in your backyard in the anymore. House. There wasn't that yeah. much room under the house. Exactly. No. no, logistically it got a little bit. bigger. So you did quite a bit of foot you know, legwork before you even went to the point of crown funding, I suppose. Yeah, you? we did. I guess that was, it was like a, you know, there was three months or so mm. where we kind of, we put out some surveys to wine drinking mates of ours and right. we tried, you know, we tried to look at other precedents that might've existed around the yeah. world or look at, and a bunch of different ways of engaging people in the process. And we finally settled on this membership idea where people yeah, sign on for pretty much a year and they, and they follow a batch of wine all the way through. So there might be different batches of wine to cope with larger and larger numbers of people who might like to be involved. But um, basically, they are, you know, people are having that same experience we had, just looking at one batch of wine and using that as a, a doorway to a knowledge about So had you seen that model somewhere else? I mean, it's, did you uh, go, look, they're doing it and was it overseas or did you just go, nah, let's think about this? Around that time, I... I was doing vintage in France in the September, October of that year. And on the way home, visited a couple of urban wineries in the US. We'd sort of discovered all these other similar things happening around the world through our research, but nobody really was doing it with a level of involvement of community involvement. Like we do a yeah. lot of people have, have urban wineries and places where you can see what happens but not so much where you can actually be involved from start to end. And is that a prerequisite now of how it works for you? Uh, now that we've put people-powered urban winery on all the branding, uh, it, it has, it has, <laughs> you have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because as it gets bigger, it's got its logistical challenges. I was going to say, because you... Um, but, uh, but in essence, um, that's, you know, that's, that's the whole reason for being is, is to, instead of investing in machines, we just open the doors and let people be part of the process. Yeah. And so people who are cynical say, well, you're just getting people to, to pay to provide labor for your winery. That's like, well. And the answer, short answer is. <laughs> the short answer is that's correct. If you're, yeah. if you're a cynic, if you're a yeah. cynic, but the, the educational and, and social, uh, benefits, uh, for our members, yeah. um, I think. And they get wine. And they get wine. And there's a unique bartering kind of, exactly. you know, arrangement as part yeah. of it, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So going into that, that second vintage or that's, would you call it vintage? That yeah. second run. Mm. Yep. So first time now, not in your, your yep. home but elsewhere. Yeah. So we hired a place, uh, we kind of sublet a warehouse that was like, 
waiting to become a cafe, but not for right. a bunch of months. We kind of sublet that for, for 12 weeks in Preston. Uh, and through the crowdfunding campaign, like a, a bunch of, some of the money was made by like people pre-purchasing the wine that we were about to make. So they would give us the money up front and they'd yep. get it in a year's time because yep. they wanted to help the idea get up. But, but most of the money was, was people who became members. And so we had about a hundred members making five batches of wine. So 20 people at a time would yep. come and work on each batch. Um, and so, uh, yeah, for about 10 weeks in Preston, we, we ran all these workshops with all these different people and on Saturday nights. We just got temporary liquor license and ran a little bar out of there to let people come and taste the wines we made under my place. And, um, you know, and, uh, so it started, started to build from there. How did that wine, sorry, I'm going to break your train of thought, but how did that wine taste? Uh, it was pretty good. It how did that wine good. taste, Alex? <laughs> Surprisingly good. Yeah. Uh, and, and just honest, getting a professional no, perspective. Honestly, even, uh, even now, and we've, we've done a few vintages and we've made many wines, uh, Often people are surprised by how good they are because people assume that having wines made by a bunch of amateurs, they might be dodgy or undrinkable, but you know, we still, we still have to keep a close eye on the wines to make sure that they mm. are good. And so having them made in the way they are doesn't take anything away from the quality. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where are you now? So how many years ago was this first batch under so under my house was autumn 2014 and then right. Preston was 2015. And then after we finished making all those wines in Preston, um, I mean, the whole thing has been like, we've been just kind of keeping up with its momentum. And so mm. we've all had day jobs and not had heaps of time to fully plan and be ready for everything that it's thrown at us. Um, and a good example of that is that we made all these wines in Preston, got them into barrels and then we realized we only had like a week left in that place and we had to move it all somewhere and we had right. nowhere to move it to. Uh, and so we started frantically calling people to find out if there was some storage somewhere and we happened upon this little warehouse space in Brunswick. Um, and then uh, through the course of having the barrels in there, it's just like a little tiny little five metre by mm. six metre place. We had all these barrels and we wanted to give all the members who'd helped make this wine opportunities to come and visit that place and, uh, and taste all the wines as they evolved in the barrels over the coming six months before it goes into bottles. So every time we did that, we kind of had to take all the crap out of this, out of this space it's to like get a access garage. to the barrels. Yeah, and make yeah. it look respectable. And yeah. there was a little laneway there, so we like strung <laughs> up some lights in the laneway and, and put some tables and chairs there. And every time we did it, because we had to move so much stuff, it would take us like, we'd all have to take days off work to just get at this thing, to have this, these little events. And yeah, so, whose bright idea was this? <laughs> so eventually yeah. we got sick of doing that and uh, discussed that two doors up from the warehouse we had was a, a place that was empty. And so we found the guy who owns it and um, we asked him if we could store our stuff in there so we didn't have to move it around so often. Yeah. Uh, and he opened up the doors and we went in there and um, and discovered this place which was perfect for an urban winery. It's a, it used to, uh, uh, Brunetti's in Carlton uh, used to do their baking there. Yeah, okay. Um, and I'd seen the place advertised when we were doing a bit of real estate watching, but it, it just looked like such a dive. The photos didn't do it justice, but when we could see that if we pull out the ceiling, it had these exposed beams, it was this, you know, it's this beautiful scale to the place. And so, um, after we started putting our stuff in there, we thought, man, this could be, this could be something. Let's so have you committed, so have you committed to a lease on this Correct. place by then? Yes. So you're really, you're taking it up a notch. Now you're, you know, you're investing in this idea properly. Yeah, that's where we are. That's where we are now. Because so that, that would have been that turning point, I would imagine. Did you sit down uh, at that point 
or are you still on this crazy kind of a ride and momentum? <laughs> oh, there's a little bit more, I guess, a little bit more time. Because surely there's other decision. people, there's partners that are going, you know, yeah. hang on a minute, slow down here, fellas. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> but we had all these barrels full of wine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what else are you going to yeah. do? So, what did you um, think, Alex? What did you think at this point? You know, so now you're at a, you know, this point where you're taking over a space, you're going to lease it. Now you got to, now the dollars and cents really have to start adding up. Yeah. Because you've got commitments, right? It, yeah, yeah, we did. And we were all, you know, we were trying to do our, our normal jobs and have our normal lives as well as doing this as well. Mm. Um, but then having the, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg sort of situation for us like that, because when you have the venue and more people can see what you're doing and more people can be involved and, you know, you can showcase things more easily, then it seems, it makes sense. But obviously in order to get to that point, you need to invest more time and more money and, and do all those things. But now we have this amazing space, which is an urban winery and it's also a cellar door and a bar. And so we, we can be there every day of the week. It's a lot easier trying to make the wine in a garage, which is full of junk mm. and where you have to move empty it every time you need to do some work, you know, it's, it's time consuming, it's difficult. And yeah. so now we have more space and yeah, well, one's a hobby. One's a, one's a business, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Little bit. That, that's the, that's the line in the sand. Yeah. So how long is, how long have you been at the space in Brunswick? Uh, so we've been there, what, we've been a year and a half, I think mm. more or less. Yeah, so okay. we were there to make the 2016 wines last year. And, uh, and how did that feel? Uh, yeah, pretty great. Pretty great. <laughs> pretty great. Did you, to did have. you take each other aside at some point and go, have a look? <laughs> have a look what we've done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we've had that moment yet. No, been, we haven't had been... a lot of spare time, <laughs> no. uh, but now we've only just finished the winemaking for this year. And so now we can actually see after 12 months and having done everything because in 2016, we were able to make wine in there, but we weren't open to the public. We didn't have a liquor license. So it was just a warehouse that we made wine in. Whereas now it's open to the public all of the time and people are there drinking wine, seeing what we're doing and we have live music. And so all of the things that we dreamt about happening have all been happening simultaneously just in the last couple of months for the first time. So, so that's the wow moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what have, what have been the challenges of running the bar? Uh, oh, what, what are the happened? challenges? <laughs> oh, the tone's changed. The tone. I don't want to drag you down, no, boys. No, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I was just I, really, we're lucky because it's very simple. Mm. You know, it's like, we, and we like to, we've deliberately kept everything very yeah. simple because that's how it is. Because when we say bar, I mean, are we talk, do you, do you focus on particular wines? Are you trying to do everything? So it's all just our stuff, basically. Right. So yeah. it's yeah. our stuff. It's, it's Alex's, Alex's other labels. And so it's just about people having an opportunity to visit the space to hear the story, to Beautiful. taste the wines. Um, and that's, you know, if we can impart that stuff on people yeah. and get them to understand where it's come from. And you're the experts, so got to love it. It's easier for us when we only have to talk about the things that we know very well, the wines that we've made. If we were trying to be a full bar, it would be much more difficult. Mm. So, so now we've got this urban space. I, I presume you're exceptionally proud of it. You must feel, you know, this is beyond surely what you imagined when you were standing next to this, what is it? A concrete fermenter yeah. underneath your house. Yeah. What, did you ever find out? Cause you did mention that you did a bit of research because now I'm imagining busy bar, hundred people, you're selling your own product. You're very proud of it. You're part of the community. 
and then you rewind back a few years and uh, you've yeah. called Alex and said, what's this thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty strange. It's a classic um, uh, suburban tale really. Um, the, the, we did find out who originally built the house and who, who um, put all this equipment in there. So I've got a, a little uh, dude, four-year-old boy, and he went to um, like a community daycare place just around the corner. And at the end of the year, at the end of that year, 2014, um, after we'd made all this wine and got it into bottles, I gave the, the woman who was looking after him um, a bottle of this wine we'd made as a, you know, thanks at the end of the year. Uh, and she put it on her dinner table that night and, um, her husband was like looking at the bottle and he's like, I know this address. I'm sure I know this address. And he's like, that's my uncle's place. And so the next time I was there, he's like, did you make that wine? He's like, and he described the house and described the room underneath to me. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the place. And he's like, when I was a kid, I used to go around there because my uncle built that place. And as kids, we'd jump in there and stomp on the grapes for him. And he's no. like, so then, so through him, I found out the whole, the whole story. So his, his uncle is, is, is no longer with us, sadly, but his, uh, his auntie now lives across the road from me. Uh, and she's the one with the immaculately pruned olive tree at the front of her face. <laughs> uh, and I've since taken a couple of bottles over to her and introduced and myself and said, Hey, that. here's this wild story and yeah. this is the one that's come from it. Let me know what you think. How did she feel about that? Uh, her accent's very thick. Um, so I'm not sure. <laughs> did, she, <laughs> did she smile? I mean. <laughs> she no, no, she, she did. She was, she, she was, uh, she, she's into it. She, she feels sad she ever gave that house up. I think she really loved that house. Yeah, so, well. you know. Um, she's probably, to be honest, looking through the curtains going, here we go again. You know, <laughs> yeah, she probably exactly. recognizes the kind of enthusiasm. She's yeah. seen it all before. You know, that's exactly. an amazing story. Yeah. And it takes a four-year-old to be the, the connector, the, P, exactly. the PI, the private yeah. investigator exactly. that puts it all together. Yeah. That's a lovely story. Mm. So can you describe how it feels on the night? I'm looking at you directly. Uh, it's, it is, as I said, you know, it's, it's kind of invigorating for me in that time of the year when it's easy to, to sort of have your blinkers on a bit and to just be focusing on the work. But then you see all the enthusiasm and the excitement that the groups bring to the winemaking process. And they're always really diverse groups of people, uh, but they very quickly become friends and, and have this real sense of camaraderie and, and a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really an amazing community that happens around the winemaking yeah. and often the people then will come back and, and, you know, be talking more, asking more questions, tasting things as they're progressing and, and becoming a part of a community in in the winery now. So if we want to find out more about you fellas and what you do, where yeah. do we go? What do we do? Should... All social media? <laughs> Is it Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, website? Correct. Noisyritual.com.au is the place or at Noisyritual at any of those places. Um, but the, the best way is just to come say good day. 249 Ligon Street, Brunswick East. Right. Yeah, yeah, come and have a taste. Where's the nearest? Give us some other opposite subject. You know, always, you know when you give directions, don't you ever say? <laughs> uh, directions are kind of obsolete. Are they? 21st century, aren't they? Gee. Look at your phone. I don't know. Plug I drive down phone. the street and I go, yeah, my cafe is opposite the big blue building with... Might have uh, 10 on the front. You if know you what get I mean? to Hellenic Republic, you've gone too far. Oh, is that there? See, there you go. Tell me the address again. <laughs> 249 Ligon Street. And if you get to Hellenic Republic, you've gone too far. You see, it's, on, it's in the instructions. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Fascinating story. And it's, and it's even more fascinating that it started from that little concrete vat underneath your house and the fact that you've connected it 
uh, thoroughly with a story. It's absolutely beautiful. It's really good. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Great. Thanks, Gary. Time for my tips and tricks. Not many people cook with wine now. It seems really extravagant and kind of rich. But, you know, in the winter, I love dishes like braised oxtail and red wine. If you use a big wine like Shiraz, the secret is to get that oxtail or another cut like a lamb neck or something on the bone and cover that meat or that oxtail in red wine. And what will happen over a period of four, five, six hours, preferably overnight, is it will take on this kind of lush rouge colour and that flavour of the wine just drives itself into the meat. It'll actually be really dark purple. And what you do is you then drain the meat away from the wine, you reduce the wine until it's almost like a syrup, and then carry on making the stew like you normally would. So you'd fry the meat, fry the vegetables, add some tomatoes or a little stock, braise it, pour that reduction of wine in and it just gives you the most lush and delicious and rich and dark and quite boozy sauce on the next episode of a plate to call home i speak with nick haddo of bruny island cheese here is a sneak peek what are you looking for you're looking for a supply chain you're looking for so you need milk to make cheese okay, you so need you need it, equipment yeah if you're starting a small cheesery in australia this is my advice to everyone. Don't do it on a small island off the south coast of Tasmania. <laughs> you know, it is the world's most stupid place to start a cheesery. Uh, but that said, would I do it again? Yeah, you bet. That's next time on A Plate to Call Home. I'm Gary Megan. I hope you love this episode and we'll catch up next time. A Plate to Call Home is recorded in the Podcast One Studios. The show is produced by Dave Swalensky, executive producer, Jamie Show. Special thanks to Imogen Thomas for the research and audio production by Nick Slater. Listener.